right, let's have a word of prayer, and we will get started. Father, we do thank you tonight that as we look at your word and as we look at particularly the subject of serving one another, that we are not just commanded to do this as if uh, you expect us to do something you haven't done, but yet in the person of Christ when he came to this earth, he willingly gave his life, but before he gave his life for us, he came to serve. And he is our perfect example. He is the one that shows us true greatness. He is the one that shows us what it means to really be first, and that is to serve. And so tonight, as we look at the subject, as we think it through, and as we consider it in relation to not just your word and you, but even can think of it in consideration of our church, uh, Community Bible Church, that you will give us wisdom and direction, but also a, a greater increase of passion and devotion to serving one another. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, come on in. It's a little bit shortly. Guys are starting to help the numbers. I have to stay over here. There you go. Can't stay over there. Sorry. <laughs> Nobody's going to sit over there. Yeah, we're going to have assigned seats next week. Okay. Talking about serving. Uh, last week we were talking about encouraging one another, serving one another. Um, when we think in terms of serving, uh, immediately what came to my mind, and some of you know of this university, although this university is in major flux right now, major change, Northland University. It used to be Northland Baptist Bible College, and it was Northland International University, and now it's even new, new, and everything else. But one of the neat things that they did that I thought was great for the students when they graduated from this school was upon graduation, seniors, in addition to getting their diploma, were handed this towel, and it said, be great, serve. And the picture of handing them the towel was, as Christ was trying to teach his disciples, who really were very thick-headed and didn't get it, when he was trying to show them to do what I have done in washing one another's feet, it wasn't as perhaps a Berean church, hey, come on in. Did they give you a book? All right. Can I send you out there? Come on out. You know what? Come on over and be warmed and filled with everybody else. Is there any more out there? Out there at the desk. Yeah, that main desk, the info desk. Ask Mary Johnson that's standing there or pray if they have another one. If they don't, then maybe we're out. Um, but when we think of serving, it is... At least that's the first picture that comes to my mind, is the picture of Christ washing somebody else's feet. Sorry, feel free to turn your chair. You don't have to sit like cockeyed, all right? Hanging over there with the young girls, it's all good, all right? Yeah, absolutely. I think you'll rub off on them even more. But when talking about serving, um, one of the things I, I heard through ye for years, and it's always stuck with me, I don't know if I got the quote right, but it's roughly like this, because it was always sticking in my mind. A good friend of mine in ministry, we talk this phrase with each other a lot. What is a true servant? How do you know if you are a true servant? Well, here's part of it is, the real test of a servant is how you respond when you're treated like a servant. In other words, when somebody is telling you to do something and, and almost acting like you know, you're below them, how do we react to that? Um, and I'll admit, and thank you very much, in American culture that's all about me and all about what I do and my independence and, you know, it's put yourself first and you got to look out for number one and all this kind of stuff, that even though we don't say those things and we don't necessarily think those things, we can say that, yes, we want to be a servant like Christ was a servant, but the problem is when somebody just kind of barks out something and says, do this, or doesn't recognize us for what we do. I mean, that, that really sometimes is our bigger sticking point. We do something, and we say we're doing it for Christ, but then somehow, some way, after we've done it, we've had this low-grade, uh, woe is me, self-pity, whatever it may be sort of thing. It's because somebody didn't recognize what I did, and it's because we were doing what Jesus said. The unprofitable servant just did what was his duty to do, all right? There was no clapping like, way to go, you cleaned up after the meal, well, you're my servant, you're supposed to do that. And yet, when we think of being a servant and serving, that's really the heart of it. And I was surprised in this lesson, I, I will say this, 
last week you heard me blah 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 about how bad I thought that the the uh, the extra article was. This week it's just the opposite. I thought it was outstanding article, very very well written, very very helpful, probably one of the best ones in the book. Um, but one of the things I was surprised is in talking about serving, it didn't mention Matthew twenty. Uh, verses 26 through 28. And let me just give you the context. This is literally hours before Jesus is in the garden and he's, he's been teaching the disciples and showing them service, showing them down to the last hours, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. You know, this is going along with Peter and uh, James and John, who I've often asked this question, sons of thunder, all right? Sons of thunder. Was thunder dad or was thunder mom? All right, because if you remember, who was it that came to Jesus saying, I want my two sons to be on either side of you in the kingdom? Are you good with that? You know, so I'm kind of wondering if thunder was mom more than dad. All right. But they're arguing about that. And, and maybe the other disciples are kind of not happy because they didn't think of it first. But at the end of the day, Jesus said, and, it, and I'm skipping a part that's above this, verse 25 says, but it shall not be so among you. Don't be like the Gentiles. The Gentiles are all about power, all about look at me, all about I'm in control. Now, what Jesus didn't say was, he didn't just say serve and minister. He said something very interesting. He says, you want to be great, you want to be first, serve and minister. And, and so he didn't just take and say, don't be looking like looking like being the greatest person or being the person that's number one. He says there is a greatness to, a, to aspire to. There is a number one to aspire to, but it's serving, it's ministering, and ultimately showing it through Christ who came to serve rather than to be served. And so oftentimes when I think of this picture, as I said already, I'm going to think of this idea of feet washing. Um, if you have any contact with Brethren Church in the past, any of you come out of Brethren Church background? i got to make sure before I say anything that I should, people will not be happy with me. But Brethren Church, part of their background is they believe that there is baptism, there is Lord's Supper, and another ordinance is feet washing. They would say, just as Jesus said, you do this until I return, you do the Lord's Supper. He said, I've given you an example to do as I have done. Well, his point wasn't to say that one of the additional things we do in the church is wash one another's feet. His point was to say this very issue right here. He was giving a picture, then he gives some principles, and ultimately he shows it through his life. Because the ultimate aspect of this serving was to give his life a ransom for many. All right, so we're laying that out, but here's where we start like we did last week a little bit. If you have your book, turn to, well, look at the bottom of page 9.1. Just going to read a very short case study. Last week was Mary. This week it's Mary Jane. They just, I don't know who these people give up with these names. Mary Jane. And I think as I read it, uh, last week I think when I read it, I think my response was, ouch. This week when I read it, I was like, good questions, Mary Jane. Here's what it says. Mary Jane joined your church about two years ago. She attends almost every Sunday and is involved in a weekly small group that meets in your home. Last Sunday, the pastor talked about the fact that God had given every believer a particular ministry. He called it your God-given ministry. All right, I'll come back to that. Mary Jane was excited and overwhelmed by the idea that God had called her to make a significant contribution to the work of the church. But now she is wondering... How can she find out where she fits? She loves the church and wants to serve, but where can she best fit in? What ministry has God prepared for her? What should she consider as she attempts to discover her God-given ministry? Question, 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 question. And then the final question is, what advice would you give Mary Jane? And, and really, when I go back to page 9.1 at the bottom there, part of what I highlighted was, in that first paragraph of the case study, it says, God has given every believer a particular ministry. He called it your God-given ministry. Now, that being said, how many people, and I think we've talked about this at some point in the past, how many people have wrestled with really knowing what is my God-given ministry? Um, we all say, yes, I am supposed to serve, but I still wrestle with, but what does that look like for me? 
Because if God says we are uniquely prepared by him to serve in specific ways in the local church, how in the world do I figure that out? Um, and, and again, I think I've mentioned in the past there have been tests to do. Uh, honestly, if you did go further through this lesson, you saw the, the thing that they laid out as a way to assess um, what your, your giftedness, what your ministry may be, your spiritual gift may be. Um, and I think it was very well done because it includes a couple different factors, not just your passions, interests, and a few other things, but it even includes the observations of other people of your life as you simply serve. Um, I think I said this a couple weeks back. I'll just ask you. This will be see if anybody was even remotely with me at that point, and it was probably a couple weeks ago. When I was in China, I would often have that question be asked, um, teaching with groups, and that is, how do we know what our gifts are? Uh, you know, and, and usually they want to, most people don't want a big, long theological answer. They want to, all right, give me the one, two, three. I'm like, well, I'm not going to give you the one, two, three, but there's a kind of one, two, three. Do you remember what I said before, the simple way to start pursuing what is my area of giftedness and service? Remember any of that? Okay. All right. That's part of it right there is just first jump right in and serve. In other words, here's what happens. People, oh man, I was supposed to turn this thing on a long time ago. Hey, I'm here, Pete. How you doing? All right. Got it on that one. All right. Missed about 10 minutes, Pete. Couldn't get it on the other one. Um, people think, all right, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't feel this passion. I don't feel this drivenness. So what do they do? Uh, they sit on the sideline. Yeah. What did you say? Nothing. Absolutely. Well, I'm just going to do the spectator thing because nothing's kind of like hit my heart and nothing's turning my crank and, and that's, so I'm not doing anything. But Jesus would say, and our point is, and I already, I'm like starting to give part of the answers. You gave part of the answer. What else do we do? We jump in and serve. What else? Yeah. But what do we? How do, how do we very simply start with figuring out how God wants me to serve or where God wants me to serve? What do we do? We start. Part of it is Jenny said we jump in and we start serving. If we find out, like I sent out emails sometimes to guys going, "Hey, we need help with setting up chairs and tables." All right, that's great. Uh, maybe somebody will bless us all, and he'll be the chairs and table guru of community. What a blessing! You know, what a huge blessing. Okay, but what else would we do? Yes. Okay. We ask. Who are we going to ask? Well, I'd probably ask you. Okay. And, and here's what I'm getting at. I'm trying to make it as simple as possible. If we're going to figure out what our gift is, if God has told us, I'm going to start with God first, all right? If God has told you and me, according to 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, Every one of us has at least one gift for ministry in the local church. If that is true, then I need to be asking God, help me to find out what that gift is. Because I can pray confidently that there is something that he will show me. While I'm doing that, as Jenny said, I'm jumping in going, I'm just jumping in wherever I can. I'm not going to just say, well, I'm going to wait and wait and wait and wait until God finally puts it in the sky and the plane flies over and spells it out in the sky, serving the nursery. Okay, there we go. But it's more of in the midst of praying, serving, and seeking opportunities as I'm doing those things, God begins to show me where it might be. Um, it is the, the passion, the drive, the compassion for others never comes sitting on the sidelines. It never does. It never will. Um, it always comes in the ministry. It's like people jumping into BBS for the first time. First time, it's like, I don't know, but I'll just fill in wherever you want. But once they get in, it's like, wow, I love this. You know, sign me up for next year. And, and they see that potentially God can use them to make a difference. So... Here's the, the good part of what this chapter has done. I mean, it's a really, really helpful chapter in the article that he's written and the things to assess. But it's helping us to answer these questions that are laid out here. Underneath grasp the issue, they're on 9.1. There are like five questions, but I'm going to highlight just two of them. Two questions that are, I think, the ones that grab us the most out of those five questions on that page. 
how has God uniquely designed you to serve him? All right? Because scripture is clear. He has done that. He has uniquely prepared you and me. And as we're going to see, it's not just in interest. It's not just in passions. It is experience. It is background. It is bad things. It's good things. It's a lot of things. Um, some people, I think he even gave the story. Uh, this guy, Jeff Jones, gave the story of his wife, Christy, who ended up ministering to girls that struggled with losing somebody because of what she went through in her days as a young girl. And so God uses that to accomplish that. So the one that I think grabs our attention out of this big old list often is how has God uniquely designed you and me to serve in the church? Also, how can church involvement be fulfilling as God intends? The reason I highlight that one, and you're going to see a picture later in the PowerPoint, too often it is pounding square pegs into round holes. And, and it often happens because we do this. We create ministries, and then we talk people into, hey, do this ministry. Or we strong-arm them and say, would you please do this ministry, you know? And then once they get in, they're stuck for life. Like the story of this woman in that story as well, who got in junior high and worked in junior high for 30 years and hated every minute of it. But she felt guilty to ever step out of it. Um, and we certainly don't want that as well. Now, I blab for a few minutes. I love when you jump in. So under sound bites, there's six statements. Four of them are what people sometimes wrestle with in their thinking about serving. And I'm just curious, any one of these t first four, first four says, I feel intimidated when I see all the people, gifted people serving at my church, or second, I wish I was as talented as others, third, I believe that God wants me to use, wants to use me in a significant way. I'm just not sure how. Or number four, I have always been open to using my abilities in church work, but no one ever asked. The church seems to be doing fine without me. All right? Whether that was your experience here or at another church or somewhere at another time, any of those four go through your mind ever. Okay. Glenn said yes. So, Glenn, which one? Everybody's like, no, I don't want to tell you because I'm going to tell you. You're going to ask me why. I believe that God wants to use me in a significant way, and I'm just not sure how. Okay. Good. And here's here's what we do. And that's a that's a great one to wrestle through because we are, and I, we, we met with another uh, missionary couple last night. My wife and I had this young couple over that I was at a missions conference a week and a half ago and spoke. They, he's finishing seminary, getting ready to go to the Dominican Republic. And they're a young couple, and we were talking about um, knowing what to do and, and, and taking these next steps. And part of it is not wanting to do things so quickly without knowing for sure what God wants us to do. We, we, and we talked about the differences in cultures in the DR and in China versus America. America is go, 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 do, 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 and then think about it later, should I have done that? Whereas a lot of these other cultures are a lot slower paced and you get time to think about life a little bit. And we do that in church then. That affects how we think in church. I got to do something and I got to do a lot of things, but I'm walking away going, I'm doing all these things, but I still feel really empty. And I don't see that that's what the picture of scripture says. Not that it's primarily about how I feel. It is primarily about God and others and secondarily about the satisfaction we find. But it doesn't mean satisfaction is supposed to be unplugged. Certainly there should be if God has uniquely designed us and put us where he has us. So that one's a hard one. Anybody else? The one that Glenn said, anybody else that one resonates with you? Like, all right, I haven't always known where to get plugged in, but I want to serve. Or a different one. I think because I've been a Christian since ninety. 93. Yeah. I've done a lot of jumping in and done a lot of things and seen God work in a lot of different ways and it's all awesome because everything he does is awesome. But I'm at a point in my life where there's a slight area where I can breathe now. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. And I'm now I'm saying, okay, God, where, where 
like all the attachments from the past are kind of disconnected. Mm -hmm. So now, Lord, what is it that you really want me to do? I'm ready to do it. I'll take anything that you've done for me or done to me or with me in the past and move it forward as a learning experience, as a teaching moment, as a... Mm -hmm. So I'm ready to go and uh, I'm excited about what he's got planned. That's great. And, and what he's saying is a neat part of what we're thinking through, what I've been thinking through a lot with community, and that is as the church is growing, the good thing is... More people can get involved to serve, but also more people can get involved where they are more geared to serve. Because oftentimes in a church that's first growing, everybody's doing everything. You're doing this and this and this and this and this. And at the end of the day, God has, again, uniquely designed us to find a ministry or ministries that we are prepared by him to serve in. So that doesn't mean that, okay, so let's say somebody says, I have the gift of singing or teaching or whatever. That doesn't mean then they can't lift a finger to move tables and chairs, all right? It, you know, it's like, come on, get real. Let's go back to these well, the verses over here, Matthew 20, 26 to 28. But we are trying to find exactly how God has, because he's made such an important deal about that, where we fit and seeing that connect with our ministry. Yeah. I had to switch around quite a few times from my ministries. Um, when I got pregnant, I was too sick to be in, from the nausea to be in first and second graders, and then I switched to the nursery. It seems like it's just like stages in your life where you're called. And sometimes like I kind of feel like it gets weighed on my heart. Things that need to be done, and you're just sitting there like, well, someone's going to do it. And you're like, ah, maybe I should offer to do that. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> I've done that. Uh, with community, like um, Catholic community, mm -hmm. I've noticed that it's only you know there's few people doing it. Like every Sunday, and they're kind of like rushing around. So when I'm not in the nursery, I offer to help them do that. Yeah. Because I have kids, and it's really hard to like make time to come in. Like I can't do the cleanup crew. Mm -hmm. There's so many different things that I can't do, but I feel like God kind of just like puts me exactly where I need to be. Right. I I kind of prayed about it, but I really didn't feel like I had to think too much about it. It's just kind of like the need was there. Right. And you just do it. Absolutely. And that's a, that's a neat way to put it, Janice, because we are all at different stages of life. I was talking with Gary and Gene or Sargas the other day, and, you know, Gene is just chomping at the bit to do about 20 different things here at Community, all right? Because she's retired, her husband's retired, and, and she's done stuff in the past, and she's like, give me this and this and this, and I'll do it all, you know? And that's, that's great. But when we're at the stage of life, when we have our children or whatever's going on, we do exactly what you did. And that is we often think that unless my ministry has a title to it, I'm not doing ministry. But some of the best ministries are when we see need and we respond to need, that's when some of the best ministry is done. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have organized ministries, but we often think in terms of the only way we serve is if there is a title and a role and a specific, here's the mission to what you're doing kind of thing, rather than crying out loud. I've seen these same two people doing this, and they could use some help, and they could use a break, and right now i got a break because my kids are with somebody else who's having fun with my kids, and I can take care of that, you know, and that's... That is a part of going back to the steps of how do we find our area of service. And there are times when we can't jump in like we would like, and there are times when we really can't, and we can't wait to do it. But there are other times where we've done a lot of things, and we want to get plugged into the one that resonates with the way God has made us. And that's what we want to see tonight. So that being said, let's jump over from here. Uh, sound bites right all the way down to the question. Here's the question. I just give my answer. This is my for what it's worth department answer. What's the central question or issue before us? This is the way I phrased it as I was thinking through what would be this issue that is being laid out for us. How has God uniquely prepared me to serve others in the church for his glory? So if you notice, there's two things in the way I put my answer. And again, this is not the perfect answer. This is just my stab at it. Um, we're seeing so far in the questions and even in the um, case study, God has uniquely prepared me and you, and it's about serving others, and it's not about 
the pat on the back. It's about God's glory. And if you notice, I didn't say anything about that makes me feel good about myself, all right? But if we are serving God in this way and serving others in the church, there will be and there should be a satisfaction. It's intended to be that way. It's not to be unplugged with, well, we just do our duty because poor whatever this lady's name was, I forget her name, that served in the junior high for 30 years, she hated every minute of it, you know, it's like, but she was, she jumped in because there was a need, and she felt like guilty if she ever stepped out, so she hated it, and the kids thought she was no good, and for 30 years she did it, and bless God, I'm sure something happened there, but at the end of the day, it could have been different, and, and that's what we want to look at. So let's go over to 9.2 to look at a couple of the scriptures and how it lays out what God is doing in preparing us. Uh, which really is neat. And it's not just simply preparing us to do a role. That If that's the way we think about serving one another, then we miss a key component. Uh, and I think we start with that key component here in Ephesians 2.10. It says this, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, uh, if, if you remember... I have it up here in front of us. Let me throw the scripture up there. When we look at Ephesians 2.10, what does Ephesians 2.10 follow? What verses? Verses that I think all of us in this room probably could quote fairly well. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that out of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we've used those verses forever to share the gospel with people. This is how you become a child of God. It's by God's grace. You're not going to do a bunch of good things, and God's going to put it on the scale and compare it to your bad things and let you in heaven if you've got a lot of good things. It's not that. It's by grace that you're saved. But that grace that saves you is also a grace that's changing you. It says we are God's workmanship. It's the word that can literally be the idea of a masterpiece. God's masterpiece is what he is creating. But the masterpiece isn't just a busy little puppet doing his thing. Because ultimately, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. The masterpiece is ultimately our service this, this that he is doing in our lives is bringing out less of Hal, less of Glenn, less of Gene, and more of Jesus Christ. That's what the ultimate finished product is. Not that we are busy little beavers running around doing a bunch of stuff in the church. Because, of all things, we're quoting from Ephesians 2.10. In the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 mentions seven churches. Do you remember what the first church was in that list of the seven churches? I'm really testing you. What's that? Okay, it was the church at Ephesus. Do you remember what the negative thing that Jesus said about that church? You're a very, very busy church. You're doing all kinds of things. But what happened to the Ephesian church? They lost their first love. Okay. Jesus said, you lost your first love. And the whole point is this. This workmanship that God is creating in us isn't just driving us to be busy in the church and not seeing the bigger picture. The bigger picture is it is tied to our love to Christ because ultimately, um, I mean, this is a terrible illustration, but I'll just throw it in there for a second. It's like all the people that for decades, even after his death, still dress up like Elvis Presley, you know? All these Elvis Presley lookalikes and all these people that go down to Graceland and everything. You, you think, well, why the heck do they do that? Well, they say that imitation is the highest form of admiration, you know? That is, you, want to, you still want to be like him. Well, ultimately, if we truly adore Jesus Christ, we want to be like him in how we serve. That, that will be the masterpiece that God creates in you and me because of grace. Grace is changing us so that we are reflecting Jesus Christ. So, I don't know if any of you did it, because usually if I ask if you did this, I look at Carolyn, and she's sitting where Wes is, so Carolyn's not here tonight. Um, the question that I asked us to at least consider on this is the first one underneath Ephesians 2.10. What do you think Paul means when he calls us God's workmanship? I mean, I've already alluded to it, but anything else comes to your mind when you, when you read that? Yes, ma'am. Well, kind of, kind of just going off a little bit more of what you said, I mean, is workmanship. It's not God's product or, or God's. It's. I feel like 
the word workmanship, it really, it, like you said, masterpiece. It's complex, it's nuanced, it's, it's layered, it's, it, and, and God had a hand in all of that. And all of those things contribute to, to who we are and contribute to where we can serve. So it's, it's more than just like, oh yeah, he made you, he, he cookie cuttered you, you know, just, you know, you're just a long assembly line. This is, he, he lovingly made you this crazy, unique thing. No, that's great. I mean, and you're giving us a good picture there because when we think of a masterpiece, when you think, just don't even think scripture, when you think of masterpiece, what do you think of? Okay, painting, exactly. Because when, and I, that's just, I'm like, like, what's the word first word that comes to my mind when we say masterpiece? We think painting. But the greatest artist didn't crank out 20, 30, or 50 of the same stinking pictures, right? What they did was they created many different masterpieces, like she said, that had so many different intricate details. But the whole point of what made the masterpieces were they were all different. And yet they were incredible. And exactly what she's saying, exactly what's being said here is the one common is we are all becoming like Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate beauty of masterpiece. It's just in our in our life here on earth, in the church, in the body, the beauty of us becoming like Christ is we are all uniquely those masterpieces. And here's the neat part, which God prepared, prepared in advance for us to do. So here jumps in the, the big old doctrine of election, which is just like, don't even want to go there. People don't want to talk about that, but it's a great doctrine once we buy into it and really understand it, even if we don't understand it. In that package is... Just as we're going to see with Jeremiah, before the world began, before we were born, God knew us. God's plan. He, he knew right now, I suppose if we stopped for a moment right now and I asked you, tell me something about your life that's been really, really hard that we don't know. Probably all of us could tell some really shocking stories, difficult stories that most of us in this room don't know. But... In telling those stories and feeling that pain, we also realize that's a part of who God has used to make us be who we are today. And so that we don't just have my thinking of, well, here's my experience and I'm going to teach you how to handle life. No, with that experience and the truth of God's word guiding that experience, that makes us into a masterpiece that God planned in advance that nothing that's happened in your life or my life was coincidence. Or just, it just happened, and now Romans 8.28 means God's going to find out a way to make it better. That's not Romans 8.28. Romans 8.28 says, in, in the better translation, is God causes all things to work together for good. God doesn't just go, wow, that's a really big mess in your life. Let me find a way to make that turn out for good. Now, if we understand that God has in advance prepared these things, that means in advance he sees these things coming and it's part of his design to make us a masterpiece for his glory in serving in the church. All right, that's one scripture. Jeremiah, we're going to go through a little quicker because it's a little bit longer and none of us are going to be a prophet or the son of the prophet, all right? But... There were some interesting things said to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's reaction was similar to us sometimes. Um, I, I could, for the longest time, relate to Moses. When Moses said, you know, I'm not a good speaker, God, I can't do that whole speaking thing. Um, and, and matter of fact, he argued enough with God, Moses did, that literally God, if you look at Exodus chapter 3, God got angry with Moses and said, fine, your brother's going to be the spokesman, all right? But his response to Moses was, but who made your mouth, Moses? I made it. So if I'm, I'm saying for you to do this, I'm going to help you do it. Well, here's Jeremiah. God says in Jeremiah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. All right, so four things, and I'm not going to ask you to answer these things. Four things that he says there. I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, I appointed you. And you're like, well, he was a prophet. We're not going to be a prophet. But understand, every one of these things are true about us if we're a child of God. 
He is the one that has formed us. He has known in advance who we will be, what we will do. He is in Christ setting us apart, and he's appointed us to do his work in the church. The question is, what is that work? But Jeremiah said, Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. It's funny how Moses and Jeremiah and some of these other prophets wrestled with their calling. Um, Some prophets wrestled with it. Some just jumped right into it. Uh, Being a prophet wasn't a great calling, at least from the popularity standpoint, Um, because most prophets in the Old Testament were called by God to go to God's people and say, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're not following God. So their message wasn't always like a, uh, holy smoke, what's the guy's name? I just totally forgot. In Houston, Joel, yeah, if I said the guy in Houston with the big smiley face and a wife that says heretical things, you know I'm talking about, right? Joel Osteen, all right? All right. The prophets of their day were not having big crowds following them. If anything, they wanted to kill them, all right? So Jeremiah obviously was thinking, hey, I don't speak well, and this calling of being a prophet, I know it's not a good paying job and people don't like me and no thanks, all right? But again, God's going to say, but I formed you, I planned. And I say that in terms of you and me. The experiences we bring into this room, the experiences we bring into this church, um, and when I said to think for a moment, what is some of the hard experiences in your life? I, I would venture to say that sometimes some of those hard experiences of your life have created some of the sensitivities in your heart today in ways of service. And that's the neat part. If we look and connect some of that, and we're willing to see that, and we're going to see that further as we go through this article. So let's jump ahead to the next scripture. On the next page, 9.3, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, which really is a dynamic uh, statement by Peter, and it really helps us to see that none of us can say, hey, I don't have any gifts. Here's what Peter says. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so then all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Now, One of the things I'm looking, there it is, I was looking for the statement and the phrase. One of the things that is said here is kind of like a bit of an echo from what we talked about last week in encouraging one another. Uh, Underneath 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11, there's the question, the first question, and I think it's a great question. It says, in light of this compelling reality, and that is a compelling reality is everyone's received a gift, we're to faithfully use this gift. But the question asks, in light of this compelling reality, how do we affect those around us when we fail to use our God-given gifts? All right? So because I talk too much and I don't sit and listen to you, I'll stop for a second. You know, think through that question. That question is asking, all right, if we know that we have a gift and every one of us has at least one gift and the end of verse 11 is going to tell us we're using it for God's glory, what happens when we fail to use it in the church? What does this text tell us? What happens? Okay. Other people say, hey, they're not doing it and they're all right with God and God's all right with them, so I'm not going to do it either. Look. Yeah, people don't see it. Let me ask you to look a little deeper into the text. Look at these two verses. See if you can see something, because that's what they're zeroing in on. When they say, with this reality, how do we affect those around us when we fail to use our God-given gifts? What goes wrong? What negatively? Yes, sir. If, if I'm if I'm a part of the need and I'm not doing my job, if I'm an ACL and I'm not doing my job, the need mm-hmm. is going to be weakened. Mm-hmm. And so the whole person is not going to work it, walk as well. Okay. Because the ACL and thus the knee and thus the knee and thus the leg is weakened. 
Yeah. You had me go in there for a second. You're first saying ACL. I'm like, okay, think quick. How? What is ACL? I don't know you're talking about the knee. Until you got to the knee part, I was like, okay, ACL with this. I know what ACLU stands for, but ACL. Yes. And, and let me ask you, though. What he's, he gave a great illustration of the answer we're looking for. And, and, I'm, and, I'll, and I'll give you a hint. The answer we're looking for is in verse 10. All right? What, how do we affect those around us when we fail? We fail. We're not using our God-given gifts. What goes wrong? Okay. Remember last week we were talking about encouraging one another. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't let any unwholesome, remember it says like rotten fish words coming out of your mouth, but only that which is good for the use of edifying that it may minister grace to the hearers. In other words, one of the ways that we receive God's grace is through the communication of God's people about God and his word and life. Yes, I see that hand before I block, because maybe you can just add right to it. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, to add on to the um, administering God's grace in verse 11, it talks about so that in all things God may be praised. And if we're not administering God's grace, it's not being praised that she Perfect. We, we found the two prongs. The two prongs of what happens when we fail. When we fail to use our gifts, God's grace, the conduit, a part of the conduit of God's grace from God to God's people is choked or shut off. But also a part of the praise that should go to God because of serving him and serving others is also choked or cut off. So it is both. When we fail to use our gifts, we fail to minister a measure of grace. I'm going to use an illustration Janice gave earlier. All right, she didn't have the title assistant cafe community servant, you know, whatever you want to call it, worker. All right, but there's a measure where, whether she realizes it or not, in the moment that she walked into Bill and Tricia and said, "Hey, let me roll up my sleeves and give you a hand with this today." They may not say, wow, that was ministering grace to me. They probably didn't even think that. They no, probably I didn't. Yeah, but it, but it did, exactly, because it was like, here's somebody who cares to jump in and serve alongside, and, and because the church is growing. There's more stinking bagels to cut and, and more stuff to fix. You know, that's all good. That's a great thing. And they, and they probably gave the glory to God when you came in there and helped them out. See, that's so... God received the glory for what you did in that moment. It kind of, like, I don't know if anyone knows this, but people do watch what people do on Sundays. Mm -hmm. And they do notice if you're always outside and you're never in class or, you know, you're just chit-chatting all the time. Someone walked up to me after that and said, I'm in the nursery uh, when I'm not um, for a second hour. And if I'm not in there, I don't really have anything to do because I wasn't used to the other classes. I was in the other room. So I started helping with Kathy community. And someone walked up to me and noticed that I had been serving the Lord a lot lately. And I kind of really finding my niche in church. And I was like, that's nice. And it just randomly, people can just kind of watch how you act and behave and look at it as a reflection of our church as a whole to see where God's touching everyone. I, I just thought it was weird that people were noticing those things because I never really paid attention. But that even shows an extra dynamic to what happens when we serve because I think uh, Gene even said something about this, and that is on the negative side, if we see everybody just kind of sitting on their hands and nobody's doing anything, it's just easy to go, hey, me too, I'm, I'm comfortable, they're comfortable. But the flip side is when we see somebody stepping in and rolling up their sleeves, it's amazing how that can have a positive impact on others like, hey, me too, you know? And, and wow, they seem to be really happy doing it. I'm thinking happiness was just sitting here like, you serve me, give me stuff, and, you know, life is good. Um, but you're finding out that, you know, somebody doesn't have to say, well, you know, Janice did that because we handed her a piece of paper that says, now you are the assistant cafe community. Now, God prompted her. She stepped in in that moment. She was honoring God because she wasn't roped into it. She wasn't dragged into it. God put in front of her a need. She responded to it. Praise God. On the human side, there was a ministering of grace to Bill and Tricia, who on a weekly basis minister big amounts to grace to our stomachs 
every week, all right, and help keep us awake during different services with their coffee. And that's the simple part. That really is. And, and again, I, I stress this. I stress this a lot when it comes to serving. You know, we often think, and this is the, the, the sticky, stinky part, whatever you want to call it, of church ministry, and that is it, we, we have often thought if there is this ministry, this ministry, this ministry, all of which have names, there's a title to that ministry, if I don't fit into one of those boxes, there's no place for me. And, and, and if that happens in a church, then as leaders, we have failed because we have failed to help people realize that the bigger picture is not just doing ministries that may already be established, but as God prompts you through seeing needs that I might not pick up on, you might not pick on, but somebody else might pick up on, that's where something grows. And it's like having somebody come to me or Pastor Ken and saying, you know, I've noticed that uh, community doesn't have this ministry. I really think we need this ministry. And, and what do you think about that? And I don't know what he's going to say. I think he's probably going to say the same thing that I would. Well, I think that's a great idea. And you know who I think would be the best person to do that? And you guys are all smirking because you know where that's going to go. And it's not like, well, we're just going to shove it back on you. But if that person has that interest and that awareness of that need, then I don't have to, I don't have to talk them into, hey, this is important. They're already in. The question is, how can we help them and resource them and equip them so that they can accomplish what God puts in their heart? So, here's where we jump through Jeff Jones' article. Go to page 9.4. Wow. Is that clock right? All, all else fails, check the iPhone. It's always right. Yes, it is. 8.04. I need to turn the sound off, too. All right. This article, as I said last week, you heard me badmouth the article last week if you were here. Sorry about that. It was not one of our strongest articles out of the book. But this, quite frankly, is probably one of the best ones I've read in the whole book so far. And very well laid out. And honestly, I've looked at and thought, I think we need to prepare something like this. Because one thing I love about the divine design inventory is beside having us answer key questions, it also involves other people in that assessment process of what have I seen in your life that may help us to better understand how God may have gifted you. So I want to walk through these things, a few things in this article by Jeff Jones, and then end with a question or two as we wrap things up. Look on page 9.3. And I'm really, I've already alluded to Verna. That was her name. I couldn't remember her poor name. I knew it started with a V. I want to say Vesta because I heard this lady's name, Vesta, the other day. I've never heard a name like that. But Verna. Um, and and in, in this story, it says she signed up, though she didn't realize she was signing up for a lifetime. And, and some of you, if you've been in church for a while, you know that that can happen. Somebody signs up to serve in something, and it's almost like... They're going to have to give up a limb to get out of that ministry. In other words, it's almost like they signed in blood. And hopefully we don't do that here at Community. That once you're in, you're in for life, you can never get out. We're going to guilt the daylights out of you, and you will never get out of it. All right? That certainly shouldn't be the case. So that was the problem with Verna. She stepped into this, and then the other guy, John, was the opposite. But at the bottom right column, the very last paragraph, bottom right column of 9.4 page it says do you know where you best fit in the body of Christ the truth is that God has also designed you uniquely for ministry and take that thought and go up to the box in the middle here's what it says about ministry ministry is much more than filling slots it is fitting saints into the areas of service that correspond with their divine design in other words, we're not trying to, as the picture would be, trying to pound square pegs into round holes. Um, I want to, as I talk with people that say, hey, I want to get involved in community and I'm not sure what to do, I, I want to ask questions. And I also want to go, hey, we're not in a big rush to shove you into something because we want to make sure that where you step into is something that you really... You know, I, I had... Um, I had a lady say this, and I thought it was a great way to answer. said, I've never done that ministry before, but my personality is I'm compassionate and patient with people, 
and I think I would be suited to do that even though I have no experience. And I'm like, that's a great answer because here's the reality. We can teach you skills. We can teach you information. I can't teach you that heart. I can't give you that compassion, that sensitivity, that patience for this particular ministry. And that's really what we're looking at is fitting saints into areas of service that correspond with the way God has made them. So that being said, look over to page 9.5 before you get to the section that says components of divine design. Um, He's telling us in this article that the purpose of these certain gifts is to build up the body of Christ and fulfill the mission of the church. But down at the bottom, right before it says components of divine design, there's a paragraph before that. And it says this, the question then is, how do I discover my divine design? You're like, we've asked that question like four times, answer for crying out loud, all right? Well, the answer is twofold. Here it is. The answer is that we first need to understand the general components of design, and that's what we're going to walk through, and also consider how spiritual maturity relates to divine design. In other words, this goes back to a question I asked three or four weeks ago, sometime. I asked a question that didn't go the way I was hoping, but that's how my questions go sometimes. I said, if we were to take out all of the people that serve at community and put in unsaved people, could that church continue to function? And everybody went, no. And I'm like, okay, then that wasn't the point I was trying to get at. All right? Because the point I was trying to get at is, practically speaking, we could. We could bring in two people off the street who are really good at serving, and they could serve cafe community. We could bring in musicians that are playing for the DSO or playing for University of Michigan Orchestra or whatever, and they could do a bang-up job on the platform, all right? And we could bring somebody in to take a a sermon off of sermons.com, and this guy could be a great speaker, and he could just wax eloquent, even though he doesn't believe a lick of what he says. And we could have people jumping into the nursery and jumping into teens ministry, and they could fit all those things. And you're like, well, what's your point? My point is there ought to be something distinctly different about us in serving in these areas, and that distinct difference is that second issue, and that is spiritual maturity. There is a motivation, there is a relational aspect, us with God, of satisfying, pleasing, reflecting well on God, and displaying His glory in what we do. That is what drives us. So, we're going to go through portions of this. Uh, as we consult this other source, this article, Discovering Your Divine Design, um, we're not going to talk about interests. We're going to just jump right to the word passion. And, you know, it's funny because when we have you, any copies in here? Yes, we do, right there. I thought I saw them. All right, so we have this Your Fit thing that we ask people to fill out when they first come and join the church. And the funny part, it says, what's your passion? And we list like, I don't know, a bazillion things here in the middle column. And what gets missed in the... Uh, in the reading the directions that none of us ever do, it's like, okay, I just read through and brrr, do it. It says, circle no more than five items from the list below that you care deeply about. Why do we say circle more, no more than five items from this list? These are, what's your passion? That's the question. Why would we say circle no more than five? I have no idea. It's it's you be passionate about the whole list. Yeah, Exactly. I circle 20 things, how in the world am I going to be, quote-unquote, passionate about 20 things? You know, we can say there are things I would like to do, but here's what passion is. It's, it's a strong feeling about a specific ministry or people, but it's something that's more than just a feeling. Go over to page 9.6. 9.6, top left column, first full paragraph. Here's what it says about passion. Passion compels us. It doesn't just go, yeah, that's a great idea. That would be really cool to do. You know, I think sky jumping would be a cool thing to do. But, you know, I, as much as I would like to do that in bungee jumping, I can just see my wife on my gravestone. Here lies my idiot husband who spent 80 bucks doing bungee jumping and the cord broke, you know. It's like, okay, no thanks. I won't do that, you know. Okay, but passion isn't just, I think that would be neat. That's a great idea. It is more... This is something that compels me. It's something I want to do. If I was given the chance to do it, I would do it. So that's why I say put 20 things on that list for passions. 
you're not going to do 20 things. It's just not going to happen. So passion is that. And we've got to do what it says in that next paragraph, which is really hitting on what I said earlier. Uh, next paragraph below that, the fourth sentence down, it says, but beware, aware that passion might not surface until you are already involved in ministry. Passion might not surface until you're already involved in ministry. That goes back to what I said earlier. Start serving, get involved whenever you hear an opportunity, even if you're like, I don't know if that's me or not. Serve. Be great. Serve. There's our towel back to the beginning. Why? Because as we serve, that's where God develops these specific passions he has for us that we are best suited to do for his glory and the good of his church. Um, and that's why I say passion. I can circle things and say these are my passions, but at the end of the day, what would, if I was given the opportunity to do it, what would I jump at doing? And we're going to come to that question at the end. No, we're not. Holy mackerel. I wonder if she left early. She didn't leave early. It's almost time. All right. Gifts and talents. Oh, crying out loud. This is just the joy of my week every week, trying to get sucked everything I can get out of here in 60 minutes. And we had 57 when we started tonight. Let me just jump all the way across the page. Here's what I want to end with tonight, because I think this is awesome how he laid it out. Over on the far right side, he says, discovering your divine design. Because if we've asked that question three or four times, it's only fair to walk out with a very solid, specific answer to that question. How do I know? All right? He says, here's some considerations that are significant in discovering our divine design. And, and this is a more expanded version of what I had answered before about finding our giftedness. Prayer. Prayer for opportunity and insight. Involvement. Gain exposure and experience. So again, this is the stuff that I talked in simple forms. Pray, get involved, and then see where God leads. Looking based on needs. So he says prayer, involvement, reflection. Reflection being what does God's word say? What are areas of giftedness? How might I fit? Personal fulfillment. There is a measure where God intends us to be satisfied. You know, um, I can tell... VBS, I love VBS, but I can tell when Jenny was doing VBS that that was turning her crank. You know, that was just who Jenny was. And, I mean, she was like a kid in a candy shop, and that's great. That's, I mean, if we can take that picture, a kid in a candy shop, and you're like, well, have you worked in a nursery lately? Uh, the baby nursery, it doesn't even smell like a candy shop, all right? It's just simply gutting it out, taking care of babies, all right? All right, well, that's bad illustration. But the whole point is... You know, that doesn't mean, remember I said the first thing is God's glory, second thing is serving others, there's a satisfaction. But perhaps having that satisfaction of, here's a mother who has struggled all week, and you know this, and you know that she's had some hard times with her kids, and maybe he doesn't even have a husband, maybe she's a single mom, and your satisfaction isn't dealing with that stinky little baby diaper, your satisfaction what is what gives you personal fulfillment is knowing that that lady got to hear God's word and you could say you could see on her face the way she walked in when she handed off that baby and the way she looks now coming back to get that baby there's some satisfaction in that yeah and that's the little pieces of it that, that we sometimes have to look to and see so all that being said and I went late last time and I'm done tonight I would strongly encourage you to take some time to look through this. I, I would like to take and create something similar to this to use a community, the Divine Design Inventory, that is very helpful to think through. I think it would be healthy for us as a church in some way, maybe in a more simplistic form, to force us to go through this and think through these things. But I hope you will. And I hope we'll find that God has prepared us, is still preparing us. Things that you do right now might be different uh, from things that you will do two years from now or five years from now because of your experiences. Um, I just got done talking with Mike in the other room, another Mike that has gone through a fire with his two daughters. Uh, 2004, we had a fire. So I could sit down with Mike and talk with him and explain and give him some pointers and explain, here's what, going, here's what to expect, here's what to think. Now, I didn't fix anything for him, but I was an ear for him. I was... It's going to work out. 
it's going to be okay. Here's how it can go. You know, I'm not a handy guy. I, you know, I fix things where no one else can fix them. You know, I wreck them basically. But here's that that step is I can step over to this guy, Mike, and say, Mike, it's going to be okay, and God's going to take care of it. And here's some things that can practically be what you need to do in those steps. And, and that's part of ministry. Now, I didn't have a our house burned ministry. And so I just wait for the next person who says their house burned, and so now I can serve you. You know, that's not it. But it's seeing the need, cafe community, meeting a guy I never met before, and the first time I meet him, I just find out he has two daughters, he's a single dad, had a fire, and they're out of their home. It's as simple as that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the love that we have seen in Jesus Christ when he came to his own, but his own rejected him. And even though he was rejected by his own flesh and blood, by his disciples who in his greatest hour of need uh, deserted him, ran from him, denied him, um, didn't care about him. We don't even know how many of them were actually at the foot of the cross other than John uh, when he hung on the cross. When he hung on the cross. And yet, Father, he shows to us the greatness of serving, the, the wonder of giving his life for others. And I pray, Father, that we would not simply buy into this idea, but that we would be all in, all in because it is there that we find joy. It is there that we find the love of Christ being filled in our hearts and flowing through our lives for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.